We stay the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombie Land. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee and this eternal now. Joanna Cuyava arrived at the virtual Alexandria with more mind-expanding reality disbanding insights from the other goddess and beyond. Did ancient Egyptians use Kundalini for astral ascension? Is there a link between their practices and the Gospel of Mary and other Gnostic works? Get ready for a hunk a hunk of burning gnosis, which includes what the Gospel of Mary really teaches and why Mary Magdalene might have been an alchemist supreme. Not much else and not much good news. March was one of the best months for Aeon Bide in terms of traffic and listeners. Mind-blowing interest. At the same time, it was one of the worst months ever financially. Very brutal. Very perplexing. I'm in this weird paradox where people passionately resonate with the content, but there is not enough generosity to take care of overhead. Aeon Byte is a broken brand I have to accept. So I'll probably have to reset, shelf content for a while to find a better business model, or evolve into something else. I've got some brainstorming to do. But I truly appreciate those of you who support and have kept this red pill cafeteria growing. It'll all work out. Other than that, let us to our interview with Joanna. The divine does not reach out to us from a cosmic beyond. It breathes from within. Our souls are secret entities which nest inside our skin. If the body shells the soul and the soul is divine grind, then God is earth 
God is us. God is all around. Welcome, everybody, to AB Live, and I hope you enjoyed that visual introduction with famous and impactful Gnostic priestesses, witches, and thinkers, and that's certainly part of the theme today, uh, watching these amazing women in the first and second century who had ideas that were just uh, game-changing, uh, perhaps the foundation of alchemy, foundation of Gnosticism, and a lot of Christian thought. It's pretty impressive. It makes me think, well, are we any better today? And I, for some reason, my gut tells me we are not any closer to the goddess than we were 2,000 years ago. And it seems the Archons are just getting started, but we got to keep fighting for these things. So, very excited. Tonight, we will be discussing a lot of Mary, a lot of esoteric Egypt, and a lot of Kundalini Gnosis or energy. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be eye-opening, or as I often say, uh, prepare to have your mind expanded and reality disbanded. And I must say that I, this is not an original one, that actually, that quote actually appears in the Rocky Horror Show, so, but it just <laughs> sounded good and I stole it. So with us today, we have my friend, and great scholar, Dr. Joanna Cuyava. Joanna, how are you here in the desert of the real? I am good. I'm good and happy to share my new explorations after the other goddess, you know. And I'm also a bit nervous because, you know, I actually haven't discussed it really before. You know, just in one workshop uh, with a very small group of people, some of the ideas, right? So I'm just kind of entering a new territory. So, um, but it's quite interesting because it's been nearly a year since The Other Goddess was uh, published and you were the first one to interview me on the book before even it was, you know, released. And uh, it was also, I was very nervous as well, right? Because it was my first interview on the book. Right, and then right, I can right. talk about the book. But now it's the first, like, a real interview about the new stuff. So I'm thinking, you know... Because I don't have this book written yet, I will just probably start writing it. So it's I just still kind of wonder how it is organized, right? So be be kind, right? <laughs> because it's new for me too. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Well, no, it's great that this research is coming. It's coming from someplace, so you got to lean on it. I mean, I didn't even think of the Elvis book really in an interview. I forget who it was, and somebody I was like yapping, yapping, and they're like, "Just write the damn book." Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's. It, it's a labyrinth. Uh, as Krishnamurti said, truth is a pathless land, and I always say Gnosis uh -huh. is a pathless labyrinth. You know, who knows? Yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of minotaurs, too. So, But with us, too, we have our favorite minotaur, a Taurus, too, and that is the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Glad to be hanging out with you guys. And, uh, hey, I saw one of them. Miriamne looked like Elizabeth Montgomery. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're all yeah. gorgeous. They're all yeah. gorgeous. I love they had them. great makeup in those days, too, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. Uh, no, I don't even know where I get it. I think Joanna and I have this, like, guilty pleasure of scouring the Internet for cool <laughs> graphics, fantasy graphics, to represent <laughs> this and that. Uh, I've been leaning a little on AI here, but sometimes it's more fun to hunt for them. So oh, they're but, great. Yeah, the thumbnail, them. the thumbnail for this one is actually AI generated. The, the oh, woman wow. that you see. So, 
The it's times good. have changed. Times are, times are always changing. Well, awesome. Well, uh, for those of you in the chat room, uh, I see Mr. Chester. He's saying, uh, well, why don't we say the message and you can, let's see. Oh, he already did that. There's Chester. Uh, don't worry, Chester, because Joanna is actually mourning where you are, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's a, uh, just after 11 a.m. On, so it's Good Friday already. Yeah, it's Good Friday. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we still have 48 hours before Mary meets Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So oh. a lot of things going. <laughs> and, uh, well, let's talk uh, any housekeeping. I'll worry about that later. Tomorrow we do have an AB Live uh, with Jerry Marzinski. Uh, it was the only time he was able to do it, so I scheduled it. We will be talking, doing our sequel of our conic mind parasites overdue. And I, it was just a complete coincidence that when I scheduled, I didn't know, but we're doing it right at 3 p.m. on Good Friday when Jesus was crucified. So perfect time because that's when the Archons thought they'd won, right? They got the guy. They crucified the Logos. The Sophia was just crying. It was just over, but uh, the powers of good won, at least in that story. So it'll be a good time. So check us out tomorrow. And then I'll have some other stuff as we go. Uh, for tonight and moving on, if you have any questions, uh, please super chat them, and uh, we'll go from there. So Joanna, tell us about this research. Now, is this research that you had? before the other goddess or is this stuff that's been sort of being downloaded no no that's so scary you know and because i don't know if you remember i was saying i i, I am done i just don't want i just wanted the spiritual practice now you know and i was doing really well because and you know when i was promoting the other goddess lots of energy goes out i loved it i love doing it you know because i love connecting with people but you know it's just energy going out and i think i have to really now like you know Omit, right? Like get within. And then, you know, things started to come back at me and I'll explain how. And now I think I have to write another book, you know, but maybe not right away. You know, I still need <laughs> a bit of a break, but I got uh, excited. So I thought like maybe I will share some, some things that are going on. But as I said, they are still quite new for me. So, um, uh, uh, Actually, I would say that, you know, it starts with the other goddess. So if we can go with the first slide, you know, if you have it available, because I'm just feeling a little bit techno dumb at the moment. All right, I will put it on. Let's see. Just as a form of introduction before I move to the, the new stuff, completely new stuff. Of course. Yeah, so, this is, so this is in the other goddess in part two. I talk about, you know, when I was in Jerusalem and I went to the the Russian Orthodox Church of uh, St. Mary Magdalene, I saw her, you know, there standing with her head extended and with an egg. And, and I got this idea that, you know, she was actually sharing uh, secrets to higher consciousness with us. And I connected her with other goddesses from, like, from Nimna, Inanna, uh, Isis, and so on, right? So, so we can get, get rid of this PowerPoint slide and we can just... So, so this is just from the other goddess. It's in, in part two. And then, uh, do you want to move to the next slide, or just or no? Just, just uh, let, let's leave it for now because I will just give a background to this. And you know, in, in there, I also just kind of started to discuss. You know, is it possible for Mary Magdalene that she went to Egypt? 
right? Because, you know, in popular folklore and especially popularized by Margaret Starbert, you know, she went to France. And also there are some sources, especially from 10th century on, that, you know, there is a long-standing tradition in France. And But even if this tradition is true, you know, according to this tradition, she didn't go to France until 15 years after the crucifixion. Mm. So I, I hypothesized, you know, that she went to Alexandria, right? Because what a place to be. And in, in, in the other goddess, I explain why it actually makes sense and uh, that there is some kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's actually not just a fantasy, right? And so, so I just explored a little bit of Egypt because the whole book was really about, you know, Tantra and Mary Magdalene and, and, and you know, goddesses of Eros and secret knowledge. And, and, you know, I thought I was kind of done with this. Right. And, 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 and in, in, at the end of the second part, I give a kind of, I got a kind of vision of Mary Magdalene in Alexandria, which was a little bit of a download kind of area of imaginal, you know, it was more <laughs> of a vision than imagination. And, you know, I was very happy with this. And then somebody put me into touch with people from the magical Egypt. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them. So this is Chad, um, I'm sorry. Charles Gardner and Vanessa McNeil, who created the series Magical Egypt. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and they have a quite a you know, big cult following. And, and because uh, we were told that we are basically looking to the same things, right? So uh, Kundalini energy, right? Except that they are looking to Kundalini energy in Egypt. So I thought, wow, right? So immediately I got, uh, we got in touch with each other. And uh, I did an interview with him, uh, with, uh, with um, okay, I did an interview uh, with, um, with them and also then I did a workshop on Mary Magdalene and Esoteric Egypt. So I will first, uh, the reason why, you know, I want to talk about it because I want to give them credit, you know, because I would not think about much uh, about Kundalini in Egypt. In the other goddess, I just said that, you know, it says that, uh, Nefertiti and Akhenaten were using it, and also that the earlier pharaoh woman Hatshepsut, you know, which I think was about 75 years or so, mm-hmm. I don't want to make a mistake now, you know, was using uh, some kind of form of energy, right? Sexual energy. And uh, so I just kind of mentioned this, and then they did an extensive work on Kundalini energy in Egypt. So but even more importantly, when we look at Egypt, you know, there's lots of controversy about Egypt, right? Between mm. the classical Egyptologists, which are from academia and alternative researchers who say that the Egypt is actually, the civilization is much, much older, right? So uh, in Magical Egypt, they argue the same. They follow the book, you know, I don't know, uh, Anthony West, you know, Serpent in the Sky, which is a famous book that they just introduced me to, and also research of a 19th century uh, Egyptologist, uh, De Lubitsch, okay, French uh, Egyptologist. Mm -hmm. And they all claim that Egyptian civilization actually didn't progress. You know, like in the West, we have this idea that also, and we are like the, you know, top of, uh, because we're so smart, right? (laughs) Well, they argue that actually Egyptian uh, civilization was in all we know it was intact at its peak at its very beginning. Wow. 
And so that's why they think it's maybe that's why all of the theories about Atlantis, you know, whether it existed or not, because, you know, they were like at the peak at the very beginning. And in fact, that when you look at the Egyptian civilization, they started to decline as the time went on and they started to forget their mysteries and so on. And I think this is really important to remember because even when I was preparing for the other goddess, I read the, uh, you know, Lachman's book on uh, Hermes, mm-hmm. right? The is great. And there, you know, he all, he says, like everybody, I love the book, by the way, is, you know, that, that Hermes is actually a combination of Greek Hermes and God Toth and so on. When I think that if we rewind the history, you know, that this is actually much more legitimate, right? That this is what the Greeks earlier later added on, you know, to certain things. So, um, so when we look at, you know, how uh, the time during which the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was written in Egypt, you know, but this, tradi- you know, we have to look at the depth of the tradition and actually these traditions were already degrading. But both hermetics, like talking about Hermes, or Gnostics had a certain preoccupation, preoccupation with a serpent, right? So, uh, and we can talk about it. And that serpent was not bad, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, like in the Bible, that serpent is actually expression of good energy. So I just wanted to set it up this way. And also they argue, and this is the Lubitsch, I think, work primarily, is that uh, both the temples in ancient Egypt were actually a representation of human body with the movement of the Kundalini energy. Okay, and if you just can go to where I think it's the next slide or maybe third slide. Sure. Before we go on, some of the audience might not know when you're saying Kundalini energy, what are you saying? Okay, so Kundalini energy, sorry, yes, you have to interrupt me because once I'm into something, I just make assumptions, which is stupid. So Kundalini energy is actually, you know, taken from esoteric Hinduism. We know it from esoteric Hinduism and especially tantric teachings, but not necessarily, which they believe it is the spiritual force, energetic force within our body that, you know, awakens during a spiritual awakening right? And it's stored at the bottom, normally stored as a coiled serpent. It's represented as a serpent. That's why I was talking about the serpent. At the bottom of our spine, and as it is awakens, it goes up, up, up along different energy centers until it explodes at the top of our head, and then we are one with cosmic consciousness, right? If we unblock these things, right? So, so this is Kundalini energy. So this is this kind of latent spiritual energy represented as a serpent in esoteric Hinduism. And, you know, magical Egypt people, the Lubitsch and Anthony West argue that there are lots of representations of a serpent, uh, which is upright serpent, uh, that are actually representation in Egyptian um, uh, uh, temples that actually are representations, according to them, of Kundalini energy, because they are represented in the same way. Because awakened Kundalini is upright, you know, like straight. Mm-hmm. When yeah. unawakened is coiled, and they are always talking when they are talking about mysteries of Osiris and Isis, the serpent is always awakened, which is you know quite interesting, and I think it's not a coincidence, you know. So, um, so this is what Kundalini energy is, just to, to say. And so, it, does it go? Does it have to go through the chakras, or it doesn't? Yeah, it, so it goes, okay. that's why I, I because I don't want to go into Hindu 
uh, terminology if people are not maybe fam familiar with that. But when I said energetic centers, there are chakras, right? Because chakras are energetic centers. But there are also kind of blockages in our energetic body, so to speak, where all kinds of, and this is what actually Mary Magdalene in her gospel talks about, I'll get into it, that, you know, that are blocks, because there are energy centers, but if it's blocked, you know, the energy, the serpent with mm -hmm. its head cannot kind of break through this, right? So then we have to help it or it torments us in a way like because it brings up the old shit all the time, you know, like why does it happen to me? Well, because you don't let it go, you know, that's why it happens to you, you know. Until you let it go, then, you know, the Kundalini can move or the serpent can move and, you know, and then there's another block, right? So, so this is what what it is. So, I hope it helps. No, no, no. It does help, and of course, uh, both Jeff Kripal and Tobias Churton would agree with you. Two yeah. brilliant scholars would agree with well, you, and, yeah, and yes. you're expanding more because you know Jeff spends like a small chapter. Tobias spends a few paragraphs, but both are definitely so. It's, yes, yeah, exactly. you're taking the baton to some great places for sure. So, so, so this is very interesting. So, if you can, I think it's slide three, which says Hathor. Yeah, I'm doing these slides wrong. What am I doing? I have lost my powers, my Kundalini powers. No, okay, <laughs> slide two. All right, like it in. next one, next one, next one. All right, okay. So, for example, and I'm borrowing it from uh, Chance Gardner of um, Magical Egypt. So, for example, even wow. he says, even a regular Egyptologists, you know, the academics notice, isn't it interesting that Hathor is represented like women's uterus? Hmm. Okay, and they have like endless examples from the temples, even like the, you know, uh, the plan of a temple which looks like a human body with a channel for Kundalini, for the serpent. So, I think that this is quite interesting, as you see. So, if you, we can get rid of this, if you... I just wanted for people to see that this is what we are claiming. And also from an esoteric uh, Hinduism point of view, it is very interesting because, of course, Kundalini awakening all often starts with the woman. So I discuss it in the other goddess, right? So, so it's interesting that, that Hathor, the goddess of fertility, you know, is represented actually as uterus. And this is when the movement of Kundalini actually starts at the bottom of the spine and the bottom of our body. So, uh, so this is kind of interesting, right? And a little bit mind blowing. And they have uh, in, in their series, they have endless examples of this, you know. And the reason why I'm talking about it because, and if, if you can just show a second, second slide for a moment, sure. Because I do believe the yeah, the second one of Gospel of Mary Magdalene. So this is actually a papyrus, part of a papyrus of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, right? And it was found in 1896 in Akmin, in the city of Akmin. And I want us to remember this because it is important in Egypt, Akmin. right? So that's why it's Akmin. So, and it was used, used to be called Panapolis, you know, the Greek name, you know, after Alexander the Great. So it's a, a city of Akmin. And it is very important because, of course, Akmin is... Uh, a, a city in Egypt, and I think we cannot look at the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and disregard the fact that it was found in Egypt and not in Syria or not in Israel, right? right. So if we can just get rid of the slide. Thank you for being so helpful. Because I also see that it's only partial, because I'll discuss it in a moment. Mm -hmm. So the thesis that I'm making in our conversation here, and I hope, you know, in my next book it is, that actually... Uh, 
the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is teaching the mysteries of ascension the same way that, you know, all the temples and gods and goddesses in ancient Egypt, according to this uh, research, you know, by these people that I mentioned before, you know, represent ascension of the soul through the movement of the Kundalini. Mm -hmm. Okay? Does it sound wild? Okay, or do I have to repeat it? No. So maybe it is wild, but it's still very interesting, right? So um, so that's why I think that we have to look into the fact that the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was found in uh, Akmin, which is in Egypt. And that's why I wanted to bring up this other alternative visions of Egypt and the fact that you know all the representations of gods and the representations of temple the temple actually deal with the mysteries of ascension which is you know focused on isis and osiris in it, right and also mm -hmm. horus which represents something else which is awakened kundalini so but we don't want to talk about it too much because i actually want to you know go back to the gospel of mary magdalene because i think this is what we want to focus so if you could go to a next slide there's a map there and at any way, interrupt me if something is not clear or I get carried away again. No, no, it's good. Uh, but Vance, what about from your vantage point in the Kundalini, the snakes and ladders? How does it look? Uh, <laughs> so I, I know what Joanne is saying. Um, I was wondering uh, what the relationship between India and Egypt is, if, the, if there was a cross-pollination or if the Egyptians, you know, took that uh, concept, uh, uh, um, you know, independently. That's, yeah, great. That's a great question. But I think because, you know, uh, we believe that, the, uh, and I concur, you know, the alternative theories that Egypt, it doesn't matter how you look at it, it looks looks best at the beginning and it declines, you know, the closer it gets to, to the yeah. Roman times and so on. It is that they both come from an earlier civilization. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that one necessarily borrowed from the other, but, you know, it was disseminated from somewhere. And that's a very interesting question, who and what, you know, started all of this, right? But they clearly they had this uh, ability to start a civilization, you know, uh, at its peak, right? So basically it looks like some civilization just moved there and start, you know, did everything they, they could, started up, and then, you know, we kind of slowly ruined it. Another, <laughs> another interesting thing from Magical Egypt is, uh, is that, I don't know what the source of it is, but they said that the Romans couldn't conquer Egypt until they stole Egyptian magic, which really? means they stole the scrolls, sacred scrolls about ascension of the soul. And only then they realized that the power of Egypt uh, lies in its uh, esoteric teachings. You see, so it's quite interesting that, you know, uh, and only until they yeah. stole the magic, they were able to conquer them. So if we could go to the slide about the, the map. Right and as I said to anybody who listens, um, I'm just organizing my thinking about it. Okay, fantastic. So you see that uh, it's a little bit too small now. So Nakhamadi uh, Thieves. Oh, yes, this one. So on this one, it's the city of Akmin. You see, it is already called in uh, Upper Egypt. So it's Akmin, I think. It's mm -hmm. Akmin here. So Akmin is here. So this is where the papyrus was found in 1896. Okay. So the papyrus was found in 1896 and then it was bought by a, and, and another just, uh, just another city that we, ne 
need to know. It's here a little bit to the north and on the other side of the Nile is Ozirinkus, I think. Right. So we can so we can just get rid of this this slide, and I will tell you why it's important. Because this this the papyrus of Mary Magdalene was found in 1896 and was sold to a, a, a German collector, Reinhardt, I think his name was, and it was not translated for ages and ages. Okay, and it's normally called the Berlin manuscript. Right. And because it was stored there. And then, you know, when uh, I think the first uh, scholar that was looking at, at it, just let me to check the notes, um, my notes here, was, uh, I think his name was uh, Tilly, I think, but I, I, I would just uh, uh, skip this because I just lost my notes somewhere for a moment, just a moment. No, I have it here somewhere. Schmidt, I'm sorry, Schmidt, of course. Schmidt, uh, by Schmidt. So he said that it was written in uh, Sahidic Coptic and he uh, said it's uh, from 1400s. Okay, so it's from 400, 400 uh, early 5th century, 400 something. And then, uh, but there was another piece found in this other city, Oxyrhynchus, right? Mm. Which, uh, uh, which was written in Greek because there are all kinds of mistakes and borrowings, you know, the first one, so they thought there must be an earlier version. And this one was dated to late uh, first or uh, early second century. So there is a discussion how old it is, but some of them argue that maybe it is written in the, sometime between nine, 90 or 150 of common era, you know. So that's why I said because we have actually two major uh, findings there, right? So this but is, they're both the same, right? They don't have the middle part missing, where we yeah, they have, unfortunately oh, the, the archons, you know, the kind yeah. of the battle scene. <laughs> yeah, in fact, what we have is a combination of both. Okay, so what we have no, and for the audience, they might so you don't make a mistake. Uh, the Gospel of Mary is not found in the Nag Hammadi Library, even no, when you, right. they'll no, include no. it. But it was, it's never part of the Nag Hammadi Library. That's right. So because in Nag Hammadi, 1945, right? right so it right. is 1896. You know, although sometimes dating is changing, but 1896 is probably the most correct date. So we have these two parts, and that's why I showed this PowerPoint on the PowerPoint. You know, that it's right. lots of parts are missing, and. Uh, I believe that, uh, and it's called the, the other one is called the Ryland Papyrus. You know, so the, what the text that we have of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is a combination of these two, mm -hmm. right? And they think that actually there must be an even earlier version for linguistic, you know, reasons. But we are not in possession of that. Okay. So any questions so far before we get actually to the Gospel of Mary Magdalene? No, no, I think, uh, yeah, thanks for the super chat, Chester. Thanks for your support. Uh, no, this is definitely okay. a very, so far, so good, so clear. Okay, thank you. So I'll just digress for a moment that, you know, reading the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is not easy because it is an esoteric and mystical text. 
So it is not like reading the Bible, you know, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife and, you know, don't steal stuff. It is you know, <laughs> highly interpretive, right? So actually, when I started to study esoteric uh, Hinduism in 2004, and in 2005, I started to study, study Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and now I'm kind of figuring it out, okay? So it's 17 years, and, you know, and it's just my interpretation. The best translation and interpretation that I found is by Jean-Yves Leloup, and I'm kind of building on him. However, I think that, and I, I feel really terrible because this guy is a spiritual genius, you know, and he translated it from Coptic and so on, so it's like I'm endlessly, I'm like the midget on the, you know, shoulders <laughs> of a giant, right? So I understand this. However, because he, what Jean-Yves Leloup, is doing it is that he's looking at the gospel of Mary Magdalene from a spiritual point of view, but Christian theology. And I think this is quite limiting because Christian theology came after, you know, the gospel of Mary Magdalene, right? So what the way I try to look at the gospel of Mary Magdalene is, you know, through uh, Egyptian esoteric teachings, because it was found in Egypt. It must have been somehow influenced by what was going on in Egypt. And also... Yeah, and also I found the correspondence between esoteric Egyptian Egypt concerning Kundalini, especially, and so on, with es esoteric uh, Hinduism. So I'm going to use this kind of vocabulary. If it gets too complicated, please let me know, okay? So if we could move to... Um, oh, actually, let's not move yet. So first of all, the, like, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene is divided into two parts, so to speak, mostly because of a missing part. So yeah. page one to six, goners, right? Like, we don't know what's going on. It starts with page seven, with a very interesting question from Peter, not favorite of any Gnostics, right? Because he says, teacher, please tell us about the nature of the sin of the world. And the teacher, e.g. Jesus, he says, Peter, the sin as such does not exist. So this is something to, you know, I'm really interested in you know, page one to six, because the sin doesn't exist, so I love it. And he says, so he's probably talking about the original sin, yeah, sin of the world. He just says that there are consequences, and it will have a meaning when we move into part two, consequences of our own actions, okay? So if we undertake and make a decision or undertake an action according to a lower level of consciousness, it will have lower consequences, if we make a decision from a higher level of consciousness, then it will have good con uh, results. Neither is a sin. You know, you make choices. But from which level of your evolutionary consciousness you're making this choice? You know, is it out of jealousy or it is out of generosity? I'm giving it, right? Like an example. Is it out of hate or is it out of love? Right? Do you want to take or do you want to give something, right? So this is, so this is, he says that this is, uh, this is it, right? About the nature of the scene. Another question is, uh, in, uh, sorry, I'm, I think I'm getting nervous because now I keep, keep forgetting this. Uh, the question he asks is, oh, Peter asks, should we add anything to the existing laws? Right? And Jesus says, no, 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 don't go there because then human beings will be even more bound. Yeah. Right? No more laws. And he's okay? never like, named Jesus. He's the Savior. He's yeah, Jesus, he's but savior. for some reason they call him the Savior. Yeah, uh, the teacher. In here yeah, they yeah. call him the teacher. Oh, okay. And the, the teacher says, 
in the Gospel of Mary, at least in the translations that I have calling the teacher. But for example, in Gospel of Philip, is the Savior, right? Right, right. So the teacher says, no, no more loss, you know, because then you will be bound <laughs> by other things, which I think is very relevant for our reality nowadays, right? Like, don't add any, no more restrictions, please, right? No more restrictions, please, the teacher says. And he says, but when you, and don't listen to the world telling you what is right, what is wrong. Go mm -hmm. within to find the inner truth, which is the Gnosis, of course. Right. So don't let them, don't say the world is telling you, look here, look there, this is right, this is right. Just don't go there. Look within. Don't listen to the voices of the world telling you what is right. You go within, and then you found my peace within you. Okay, so this is the Gnosis of the teacher uh, from um, the first part of the Gospel of Mary, right? Mm -hmm. Then, so I, I like it. I don't know. I, I like freedom and, you know, I like the, you know, the whole sinner thing being gone, you know? So I think right, uh, yeah. rather, right, you know, I remember as a little girl going to church and, Father, I'm not worthy. You know, I didn't do anything, but you know, I'm not worthy. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so uh, this is kind of clear. And then pages 11 to 14 are missing again, right? right. And what happens there? It is that we start actually. Uh, what happens? We know that Jesus is gone already, mm -hmm. right? And the disciples are approaching Mary, and they say, "Jesus, uh, sister." We know uh, would you, that he loved you. Can you share the teaching with the, the teachings with us that he had shared with you, but not with us? Right. So this is already, you know, uh, quite openly a statement that Jesus shared special esoteric teachings with Mary Magdalene, which he didn't share with the rest of the disciples, right? And she says, of course, you know, she says, I, I, I would. Mary gathered them together and says, I will tell you what the teacher told me, right? And then uh, she says that she saw Jesus in a vision, okay, in a vision, not in a person, in a vision. And but what is this kind of vision? So it's not just a vision, you know, like an imaginary vision, because she, he's, when she sees Jesus, the or the teacher, because I assume it's one and the same person, although I see the distinction you made, you know, he says, Mary, you, you're blessed because you can see me. Right, and she says, "Do I see you through my psyche or psyche, or do I see you through pneuma or pneuma?" And he says, "No, you see me in between, which is the noose, mm -hmm. right? Which is the big noose, you know." And and we are going to discuss what it all means. And then uh, the pages are missing. And then can we go to this major slide because it's getting a bit intense? The next slide. Boom! 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 Yes. And then she is, uh, because some parts are missing, she is taking, explaining to the disciples that, uh, that what is required for the ascension of the soul. So the soul is moving through what the Leloup is calling four climates, or the other uh, translated co translators called it other energies, four different energies, which I actually prefer now after some meditation and research that energies, right? Mm -hmm. The first energy, we don't know because it is missing from the manuscript or from the papyri, but when we impose it on the, 
you know, what the Platonists and also um, um, or Neoplatonists and, and also esoteric Hinduism, the first one is always wrong identification. Okay, so what is the wrong identification? Because it goes later with, well, with everything else. Wrong identification is what the Platonists called the Soma. The Soma, it is attachment to the matter, right? So I am this body. There is nothing but this uh, physical existence and these three dimensions, right? So just as well, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, get a mortgage, you know, and, and die, or, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and if it doesn't appeal to you, because there's nothing else. But basically, it's an attachment to material good, goods, not because you're greedy even, but because there's nothing else. You know, it, like, you, it is not within your field of perception that there is something non-material yes do we understand yes, so basically i would say that for example now with ai and so on you know i think that they are trying to um prolong uh, and i'm expressing a personal opinion human life you know through all kinds of technologies which i think dangerous to the soul personally i think this is because the assumption is that all there is is soma which means you know just material existence and you can and extend this existence through some kind of uh, technology, right? Smart technology. So mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, the obsession of AI and so on comes under the wrong identification, believing that you're just material and, you know, or if you want to uh, live longer and use some technology to live longer, that there is no progression beyond matter, right? So, uh, so this is the first one. The second one is craving or desire. So what is craving and desire? So it's basically a sense of not enoughness. You know, like I'm not enough, right? Like this kind of thing. And we all basically at a certain stage feel it. This sense is actually coming from our psyche. Okay, so talking mm -hmm. about uh, um, Neoplatonist psyche which has correspondence, this kind of psyche, which is not understood by Platonists as soul, but rather as um, kind of clusters of desires, unfulfilled desires. And in Egyptian, so this is, I'm moving towards Egyptian terminology now, in Egyptian terminology is called died, died. In esoteric Hinduism, it's called sushumna, okay? But so if we can go for a moment to the next slide, because I want to say what's did, and we come back to the slide. Sure, no problem. You see, so the next slide actually shows did. So in Egyptian paintings, Osiris is all, did is called the spine of Osiris. Isn't it interesting? Because Kundalini is moving along your spine. Right, right, yeah. So these are explanations, as you see, like this is in different levels here, right? Of So it's called, Diet is also called the spine of Osiris, right? So, and, and the Kundalini energy moves along your, um, along your spine. So can we move back to the previous slide? This is just representations of the Osiris spine. So Diet, or which is, is called also Osiris spine. So what is diet? Diet is like a channel in uh, Egyptian, uh, esoteric Egyptian uh, teachings. It is like a channel, which is called Sushumna in Hinduism, where all your unfulfilled desires and cravings are stored. Oh, wow. So they are not eternal, but they are immortal. What do you mean? 
So it means if you have an unfulfilled desire and you die, you re are reborn with the same desire. Right? So, for example, you wanted to be a famous writer, you died well, now you're born again and you still want to be a famous writer, right? <laughs> also, some kind of more subtle things or maybe even more negative, if there are any addictions or inclinations, you're already born with them, you know, because you didn't resolve them in your previous life. So you carry them to a next life. Mm -hmm. They are stored in the head, which is the, the spine of Osiris. So that's why, you know, it is important to drop it, she says, because, you know, then you are, you have to redo it, basically, all of this. So if I can just share. Um, and in this, Hinduism, what is it called again in Hinduism? Diet? Sushumna. Sushumna. Diet is uh, in, in uh, Egypt. And which is also, a diet is also spine of Osiris. It's Sushumna. And in Hinduism, because we know more about Hinduism than Egyptian esoterica, unfortunately, at this stage, in Sushumna are your vasanas. Vasanas are exactly these unfulfilled desires and also unfulfilled patterns. Like for me, probably I have some negative thinking patterns. Mm -hmm. Right. And I have to catch myself. I work my own um, recently, especially started to really heavily work on it because if I don't catch it, I just go in that direction. So this is stored in my diet or in my sushumna. And it, 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 so, right. Because I, it is right. So in, uh, so for, so, so this is it. This is a craving, right? You want to be a, I don't know, academic or you want to be a famous writer. I'm just talking from my own past. I want right? to ride one of those tricycles with giant wheels. They did it. That's the right. That's right. I can't help it. Yes. Uh, or you, or you have some tendencies that are, you know, uh, sabotaging you. They're right. also, you know, they're also an addictions. They're also stored in Sushumna. That's why it is really good. So when the Kundalini is moving, and I'm going to talk about it in a moment, it is, you know, it is bringing it up with great strength. So, for example, if you have cravings if you're addicted to something or you really start to be negative, you know, like if you have a tendency like me, you know, because it wants to be cleared. So it's not, it's, this is not when you give in to these things, although it's extremely tempting, right? It is that it just wants to like throw it up. So you just have to sit with it until it just says, oh, I am pushing the buttons and she is not responding. And we said, okay, I give up. Okay. So when that's why, uh, when the energy is moving, it comes up stronger so we can get rid of this, right? So it's this. Right? And that's why I said it can be dropped like a garment, she said, because, uh, but you have to go through the process, right? Because it comes up. So it's diet or sushumna with vasanas. But at the same time, these forces or these energies to send, they are personified as archons or stellar lords. That's what the Hermetists, the Egyptians do in the Gnostics. So, yes. In a way, they are, you know, wrong identification is an archon. It's a figure. You That's right. Because, uh, so this is actually, I'm going to look into it maybe another talk because I'm still looking into it. This one mostly, uh, I, I discuss, discuss it at the end, but this one mostly focuses on how we can um, get rid of them by internal work. By, by the, you know, movement of, of energies, right? And also in esoteric teachings, it's not only as above, so below, and as below, so above, but it's also the world is as you see it. Mm -hmm. So that's why they also say, be really careful what you're focusing on. Because when you, whatever you focus on, okay, 
uh, you magnify, right? So you give more like archons, you give them more power by talking about them, you know. <laughs> so be yeah, careful. Tell me about it. Yeah. So be careful because we love that attention, right? So this is more about inner journey, I think. Although at the end I will say something because this is something very interesting at the end that I think uh, points at the archons. So, so this is the second energy, right? So we have this diet or Sushumna diet in Egypt. This is where all unfulfilled desires are. So from a spiritual point of view, if I can just share, uh, somebody would say that um, uh, one of my spiritual teachers said, if you have a strong desire, you know, either get rid of this, and if you can't get rid of this, do it. <laughs> because then you know it's shit again over and over again you know yeah. the so carpal creates the carpal creation yeah. just do it get it over yeah, with. just do it because man you have to get over this you know so not everything can be suppressed right no no so so that's funny right so so this is the second one the third one is ignorance which is also understood as lack of discernment so lack of discernment. So now you have, so actually this craving comes in, it's in psyche, right? Or in psyche, because it's stored in psyche is diet or social love. And then ignorance, ignorance is basically lack of a connection with your own noose. Noose is this higher level of discernment. It's the higher wisdom, which is, it could be called also spiritual wisdom, or what I called also in the other goddess, it's a hook to which you actually connect with the, uh, with the cosmic consciousness, right? So this is you connect to the source. Mm -hmm. You know, you go beyond the archons, but you have like a, like, you know, a hook that you can go, like you're underwater and, you know, you can go above the water. So this is your nose, right? So, uh, so... When we don't, when, when we don't work on our nose, it's basically it's a refusal to, of higher wisdom, right? And when we do, we have access to higher wisdom. So if I can give just an example, because it feels very abstract, probably from a personal life, is that, for example, uh, I had this desire, which is part two, right, in my psyche on the earth, that you know I wanted to be either famous writer or you know excellent academic. So although you know, I was with a spiritual teacher and my spiritual path was unfolding in front of me beautifully when I was initiated to the tradition. I was resisting it because I still wanted to be a famous writer. Uh, yeah. That's high ignorance, right? So it means the desire, part two, was so strong but yeah, I said, yes, I had a, I had news, I had a connection to that, but ah, but you know, she got a, you know, became a professor and, you know, so it is not knowing <laughs> what really matters, right? So all of this is also very much like the shadow, because the shadow is not only what you're ignoring, but what you need to look at, what you yeah. have. Shadow comes out when something you feel you haven't fulfilled. So That's right. That's right. So, uh, so this is the third one. And the fourth one, and I'm sorry, the fourth is my, I was editing too many times. It should be four here, which is strong, latent feelings. So the fourth one is called um, uh, rough, unfortunately, because it's actually very subtle. And it has seven different uh, kind of uh, impersonifications, so to speak. But all of them relate, you know, to um, strong latent feelings. So basically what happens 
it is like you already have a nose, right? You have an access to the source, which was basically anybody who has any spiritual practice, right? They have the nose, they develop the nose. And they are one with pneuma or pneuma, which is the, the fourth level, yeah? But what stops them, it is the last kind of latent feelings or concepts that are wrong. And they can be either in a concept such as self-doubt, right? Like uh, your mind is telling, who do you think you are that you think you are? <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, your sister has a house, you know, she has two children, yeah. you know, her husband is an American, American industrialist. <laughs> And who do you think you are, right? And then, and but also, and this is when you're talking about the archons, the reaction of lower energies at your ascent, judging and intimidating you. So, for example, saying exactly, how do you dare murder her? This is how in the Gospel of Mary, you know, uh, they call you, you vagabond. Who do you think you are? It's actually quoting from the Gospel of Mary. You murderer, where do you think you're going? You know? Mm -hmm. So this is a total assault from blatant concepts, but it's very violent assault, internal assault, but also from outside energies, which can maybe personified by archons or maybe even by your own family members. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it hurts and it's close to home, right? Who, how do you dare vagabond? <laughs> Where do you think you're going, murderer, as your soul is ascending, right? Where do you think you're going, you, right? Who do you think you are? So, um, so they are judging and intimidating you. So I have this another wild theory because it has seven elements, right? This latent feelings and concepts. Then when in the Bible, uh, Jesus is exercising seven demons, but he's actually freeing her from the last latent concepts. Uh, and feelings that shift of unworthiness, so to speak. Do you know what uh, I mean? Like, who do you think you are? You're a woman, you know, you're yeah, like in her case, because, right? She, she, she lived in a society that it was like a punishment to, to be a woman, right? Especially if you're a woman spiritually inclined or smart, right? Or who, so he was, in my opinion, he was actually liberating him from the last latent concepts and feelings. And we all need it, right? Uh, but this, but the soul says, you know, why are you judging me? I'm not judging you. The soul is by then completely cool. You know, the ascension of the soul. Like, this is just like last latent things. And it's really interesting because what the soul is saying at the end is a design has been erased by the virtue of a higher design. She says, I am free now. The design, like matrix, or I like to call it patrix, you know, <laughs> matrix, like Patriarchy, not as I always repeat, not against, against men, but the system, you know, the empire, right? Right. The, my attachment to the system or the system itself in my consciousness was erased by the virtue of a higher design and it was replaced by a higher design, right? So basically, I'm not buying anymore into the slower energies and I am above the slower energies you know, whether they are internal or external, whether they are internal archons, you know, which is like a tearing thoughts and concepts, you know, of unworthiness, you, you sinner, right? Or they are external, you know, externalized forces like the archons, right? Mm. So she is above the soul, by the soul. She's above, uh, the soul is above 
this now. So the design has been erased by the virtue of a higher design. But it also sounds to me, I still have to meditate upon this more, but it, it assumes almost like some external help, you right. know, which is at the moment not evident from the uh, parts of the gospel that we actually have, have. But we have also, obviously, the story of Sophia, right? When Christ's consciousness descends upon her, basically, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and saves her from. So this is the gospel of Mary Magdalene up to date for me. <laughs> and, and, um, and once the soul, you know, goes through the fourth and last obstacle, you know, through the movement, like it could be a movement of Kundalini energy or movement of the soul, because it's really quite interesting because I skipped something. Skipped something. So, for example, part three, you know, uh, part three here, uh, because part two is psyche, she calls it psyche, right, which is diet, mm-hmm. and part three is sekem in uh, sekem in Egyptian uh, esoteric teaching, and sekem means uh, spiritual wisdom. Okay, so when spiritual wisdom is moving through your diet, so that's why I'm saying it's like energy, mm-hmm. right? You awaken and you have access to the source. And then you become one with pneuma or pneuma. And pneuma, it's quite interesting, pneuma by the Stoics was called the life force, you know, which is exactly the name for the energy, for Kundalini energy, you know. So basically you're one with the life force, which is the energy, Kundalini energy. So I say it's quite complex and I probably could explain it better because it's just so many overlaps. But as I say, I'm just working myself through this material. So basically, this one is wrong. First one is wrong identification. The second one is psyche or diet or psyche or diet, which is the Osiris' spine, which is the, the channel through which energy can move. But there are too many obstacles because we all have stuff, right, from childhood and from past lives. The third one is second according to Egyptian uh, esoterica. So a second is actually spiritual wind force that is moving through us. That's why I think it's correspondent to Kundalini energy. And the fourth one is, you know, pneuma, which is cosmic consciousness, but this is your oneness with the life force, basically, which is also another name for Kundalini energy. Wow, that's great. Yeah, for the, for those of you who are jumping in the chat, I know Vance is answering, but if you're just on audio, Joanna is doing a great job of uh, showing us the sort of kundalini ascension powers that you find in the Gospel of Mary that are associated in parallel with traditional well, esoteric Egyptian mysticism and also parallel Eastern esoteric esoteric. Esotericism. <laughs> so that's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, it makes. I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, uh, yeah, talk that's about a lot of imposter syndrome that this stuff takes care of, right? You're not good yeah, enough. You should have done it. You should have this. Yes. But, <laughs> the voice but, is in our head. That's right. The voice is in our head. And also, you know, uh, it's just I would add, but going back to esoteric Egypt, when what I learned from these people, it is that exactly the temples, you know, there are lots of representations of an upright serpent, you know, which represents Kundalini energy in esoteric traditions, right? And yeah. they're often associated, you know, with the trio, you know, Isis, Osiris, and, 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 
uh, and horrors, right? But it's a completely different talk because it is very complex. So, uh, so there are these representations of serpent in major, you know, uh, especially in, in the temples of Karnak and so on, right, uh, along the, the Nile. So, um, so this is lots of work. I think I really put myself into situation here, but uh, <laughs> but I would tell you that like all esoteric works, whether you know I was reading esoteric tantra or the Gospel of Mary Magdalene now for seventeen years or so, it is um, they nurture you and they challenge you. You know, so it's it's not an easy reading. You know, you 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 really have to. I wonder. If I'm just putting mm -hmm. some comments up. Yeah. Feel free to address them or not. Yeah, I I could be. It could be. It's Bob. I, absolutely. As Jacob Slaughter. Right. Because Jacob Slaughter is really, you know, uh, it, it's like Kundalini move, moving through um, uh, through the earth, through Osiris' spine. Yeah. So it's basically just going back to esoteric Egyptian te uh, terminology. So Sekem is moving through the earth, right? Mm. Sekem is moving through Osiris's spine, right? So I would say that I didn't think of it, but yes, excellent, yeah. I, I would say so, yes. In esoteric uh, uh, um, kind of explanation of it. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamonds. Joanna rides that kundalini into pure awakening. In our second part, we get into a bio for Mary and into Egyptian sex magic. As mentioned in the intro, a lot of success, but not much support these days. So I'll leave it at that. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. <laughs>